Well, we are in the last of eight weeks in this series that I've called Life's Healing Choices. We've been basing it on the Beatitudes. And if you look at your message outline, which I think is in your worship folder starting on page 11, I'm going to go back to a Beatitude from Matthew chapter 5, verse 9, that said, Blessed are the peacemakers. And it's a, not only a, it's not a peace giver, but this is a peacemaker. We have a command to do this. Now, I want to move on, and I want to turn to that next passage you see there, which comes from 2 Corinthians 5.19. It says, God was in Christ offering peace and forgiveness to the people of this world. Now, that's you and me. It says, and he has given us the work of what? Sharing his message about peace. That's where we get our, our eight different lifestyle choice this week, the so-called sharing choice. Now, here's the sharing choice. I choose to yield myself to God, to be used to bring the good news to others, both by my example and by my words. Now, any of you ladies who happen to have been here a week ago at the LWML rally, you heard Laura stand up here in the front and deliver a message about using your words. God has given everybody here certain words that certain people need to hear. So maybe I'm just kind of amplifying a little bit on what she said a couple of weeks ago. Now, when you look at that passage, you think about the sharing choice, yielding yourself to God to bring the good news to other people by example. Well, I guess we say by word and deed. The person in the Bible that comes to mind for me is St. Paul. St. Paul said that there was a time in his life when he hit rock bottom. That's kind of hard to believe that a great person in the Bible would hit rock bottom where they feel like they wanted to cash in their chips, sell the farm, do away with themselves, however you want to put it. He was so discouraged. But he said this in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. He said, I pray that God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ will be kind to you and will bless you with peace. The Father is a merciful God who always gives us comfort. He comforts us when we're in trouble. Then he tells us why. So that we can share that same comfort with others in trouble. He comforts us when we're in trouble so we can share the same comfort with others in their trouble. We share in the terrible sufferings of Christ, but also in the wonderful comfort he gives. Now, a number of years ago, I had been doing a church consultation down in Tennessee, and I was flying back from Nashville to Chicago. I'll have to tell you that normally I pray that God would put an unbeliever in the seat next to me so I have a chance perhaps to witness Uh, But that night, because it was late Saturday night, and I still had to work on my sermon, I prayed selfishly that God would put me in a seat where nobody sat next to me. Well, I was called forward to the stand. Uh, You know, passenger, Cole, please come forward. It's like, oh my gosh. And then he said, you know, the flight isn't especially full. Can we move you into first class? Yes. (laughs) Real food, on a plate, (laughs) a seat that fits me. And, oh, Lord, if it could be with nobody sitting next to me. And I said, is anybody sitting next to me? And the person said, no. I ha, thank you, Jesus. I got on the plane. We were just about ready to take off when this really large black man got on. His wife was with him. And he very quickly jammed stuff in the overhead, got her seated. He plopped himself down next to me, stuck out his hand and says, we'll talk more as we fly. <laughs> and I thought, not the answer to my prayer. But as we took off, I'm thinking to myself, he looked vaguely familiar to me. 
And lo and behold, I found myself on a flight from Nashville, Tennessee, back to Chicago next to Bishop T.D. Jakes. Many of you know Bishop Jakes from the Potter's House. And what a conversation we had. He said, you guys ever build churches overseas? <laughs> and I said, yes, we built about seven or eight. He said, we just built our 4,000th in Kenya or something like that. But he said something in that conversation that I actually opened the front of my Bible and I wrote it in there because it, was, it just bowled me over. This is what Bishop T.D. Jakes told me. He said, where your misery was, your ministry is. Let me say that again. Where your misery was, your ministry is. I mean, just think about that. I mean, who can be more sympathetic to somebody than somebody who's already been there, done that, and owns the t-shirt? I mean, I think about that. I, I, I've probably told this story before, but I, when I was first I was a pastor, uh, we had a, a K-8 through school, and one day the teacher brought down a little girl who was weeping and wanted to know whether I could take care of her. Well, you know, there's no crying in church. You know, and I didn't want a little crying four year, fourth grader in my office. And, and I sat her down. I said, okay, what's the problem? Oh, nobody will understand. I said, yeah, probably. And I said, well, maybe I'll understand. She goes, no, you won't understand. I said, yeah, you're right. I'm kind of dim. And uh, so I said, do you mind if I work? You just sit here and cry. She sat there and I said, but anytime you feel like telling me what's going on, uh, okay. She says, well, man. And I said, well, did something happen to you that, that never happened to anybody else before in the world or something? And she said, yes. I said, what happened to you? I turned around. She said, my mommy and daddy are getting a divorce. And I said, really? She said, yeah, nobody understands. I said, nobody else in the whole world that's ever happened to before. Yes. I said, come here, young lady, look at me. It happened to me, too. She looked at me. I said, yeah, my parents were divorced when I was young. My father was in prison at the time. She said, it happened to you? Then she said, well, you didn't turn out so bad. <laughs> and I was able to share with her out of my misery, where my misery had been. I now had a ministry to talk to somebody. I, I say, been there, done that. I'm just saying, friends, don't waste the pain you've gone through. If you're honest with God, if you're honest with yourself, if you're honest with other people, God can use the very thing that you may have hated the most. I mean, I grew up in a little town of 3,000 people. I thought I was the only one that came from a broken family. I thought I was the only one who had a father in prison. I hated it. I hated it when people brought it up. But God says, and this is what I learned, he basically said, Barry, yeah, it happened. It happened. The fact that it happened is never going to change, but I can use it for your benefit. I can use it for my purposes. I can speak through you to help other people when and if you are willing to share. Now, some of you might be saying, well, I didn't come out of a broken home. My father was never in prison. I don't have anything in my life that I could share that would actually be a benefit to other people. Wrong. Every last person here, from Amber all of the way to the back to Karen, has a story to tell. 
Now, we need to understand something. I just want to share with you this morning some of the things that God wants you to learn to share with other people. Here's the very first thing. You need to learn to share with other people how pain got your attention. Anybody here ever had pain? Just Jimmy and me? Anybody, anybody ever had pain? We got, you guys must be living on a different block than me. We've all been through pain of one kind or another. And I can tell you that that pain sometimes, and some of you are in pain right now, you couldn't get your arm up. And you're in, you're in pain, and it got your attention. I mentioned this morning in Bible class, you know, sometimes, you know, I remember being in the hospital a year ago. About a year ago, not quite today, but a year ago in October. And guess what? When you're flat on your back and pain has got you, it got your attention. Proverbs 20, verse 30 says, sometimes it takes a painful situation to make us change our ways. I mean, God says, learn from that pain quickly, use that, and God uses that pain. Well, I think, you know, God uses pain to inspect us, God uses pain to correct us and direct us and perfect us, but I I think most of all, God uses pain to get our attention. Now, I want to give you a great biblical example. The guy's name is Elijah. Don't confuse him with Elisha. This is Elijah, the first one. He's one of God's favorite people in the Bible. And he had a very trying time. In fact, he had that, you know, the dueling Bibles thing up on the Mount Carmel with all of the prophets of Baal. You might know that story. If you don't know the story, go back and read it this afternoon. But he had a very trying time. He ran away from Jezebel. And so after this miserable time, God said to him, you need to take a little time out. In fact, I preached on this a number of years ago. I called the, the title was something, A Need for a Snack and a Nap. Every once in a while when you've been through hard times, all you need is a little food and a little nap. You'll get over it. But God said, I'm going to take you away for a, t- a while. They took him by this little brook, Kareth, and he said, just stay here, enjoy yourself for a while. So it's kind of like a remote country spa. And here, if you read the story, it said that birds brought him food supernaturally. The water there was very fresh, very clear. He had these wonderful shade trees to sleep under. But then, as you read that story, it comes to one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Here's one of my favorite verses. And then the brook dried up. Isn't that a great verse? And then the brook dried up. Anybody ever here? Anybody here ever have a brook dry up in your life? You know, things were going well and all of a sudden, gone. See, when Elijah was in that situation, he got mad. Oh God, don't you love me anymore? You were providing food and water and trees and all of a sudden the brook dries up. Well, we know you read the story in Scripture. God says, well, of course I love you. I just don't want you by the brook here anymore. There are things to do and people to see and jobs to accomplish and missions to fulfill. But I know you weren't going to move as long as you had this brook here and these, this food. That's why it dried up. Friends, that's why sometimes God uses pain to get our attention. Pain that you can share with each other. You know, and, but in order to do that, you've got to learn a few things. You need to, first of all, learn to be, you need to learn to be honest with your feelings. In 2 Corinthians 6, 11, it says, We've spoken frankly to you. We have opened our hearts wide. You know, we all have feelings. You know, I hurt. I have pain. I'm suffering. I didn't like this. You know, to be able to tell somebody that. You also need to learn to share your faults. And believe me, everybody from Courtney, well, maybe only Courtney. Oh, no, everybody from Courtney on has faults. We all got them. 
and there's no sense comparing. I mean, you can't say, well, you got more than her, but less than him. No, we're just all sinners. We all have faults. In fact, Galatians 6.5, each of us must bear the faults and burdens of his own. None of us is perfect. We also need to be honest about our failures. I mean, is there anybody here who's never messed up? Oh, man, you know, you got a rearview mirror in your life. You see the mess-ups. Uh, I mean, I see the debris I've left behind from the stuff I've done. 1 Timothy 1.15 says, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And Paul says, and guess what, I'm the worst. I mean, he felt like he was really a mess. We also need to be truthful and honest about our frustrations. Paul says, I have a desire to do what's right, but I can't carry it out. I, I love that passage. Boy, I'll tell you, that's me. I don't know whether it's anybody else, but that's me. There's good stuff that I really know I should be doing, and I just don't get it done. But the bad stuff I ought to stay away from, man, I have no trouble doing that. I wrestle with that. That's the sin inside of me. I've also got to be honest about my fears. Now, every time you share a fear with somebody, I don't, I don't know if you've ever recognized what it does, but if you, if you do it, Two things happen. One is it lowers the level of fear in your own life, and it also encourages another person. I mean, I'll be honest with you, I don't like snakes. I mean, snake, I, I fear a snake. Well, guess what? Just saying that kind of levels the, lowers the level here, and maybe it encourages some of you. Yeah, you, yeah, yeah me too. Second Corinthians says, I do admit that I have fears, that when I come to you, you disappoint me and I'll disappoint you. Be honest. You know, a lot of Christians are a bunch of phonies. Did I just say that? I meant to say, there are a lot of hypocrites in the church. Did I say that? I guess I did. There's a lot of people who just kind of wander into the front door, plop their posterior in a pew, and they put on a mask. They don't want anybody to know what's going on inside. They're like a duck. You ever seen a duck swim? Did you ever look under the water? That's the way a lot of us are. You all came in like ducks. Some of you came out like duck steak. You look wonderful on the outside, but you are churning and burning down under. That's why we're going to go to the second point here. I've got to share what I've learned in the process. What have you learned in your pain? You know, a lot of people say, you know, it's wise to learn from your own experience. And I go, yeah, but I just soon learned from somebody else's experience. Why should I have to waste all my time making all the mistakes? I mean, I study John Folk pretty regular. Yeah, I let John make the mistakes. Then I learn from John, right? Or John learns from me. You know, that's why you need to read the Bible, you know, and see that there are other people who've, who've been there, done that, and made those mistakes. You, you learn you need a Christian mentor in your life. You need a spiritual partner. Uh, you got to you know, just share what you learned. I'm going to give you, tell you very quickly what I've learned in my life from pain. And, I, and I, I'm not telling you that I've experienced more pain than you or anybody else. I, I'm just, from, from my point of view, this is what I've learned about dealing with pain. First of all, I've learned to depend on God's love. That's what I've learned. And when I do, guess what? I realize that God is all I need. You know, Paul said in 1 Corinthians, we were crushed and overwhelmed, saw how powerless we were to help ourselves, but that was good because then we put everything in the hands of God who alone could save us, and he did. I've learned that in my life. Have you learned that yet? That God's all you need? 
Here's something else I've learned. I've, I've learned to follow God's word. This is tough for a lot of us. In fact, there may be a few of you here today like this. Uh, you don't turn to the Bible. You don't turn to the church. You don't turn to prayer. You don't turn to the word until you're in crisis. I'm just saying, friends, you ought to learn to turn earlier. You know, the Bible is full of loving warnings, loving promises. Here's one, Proverbs 119. It was the best thing that could have happened for me, for it taught me to pay attention to your laws. That's kind of like God giving us a heavenly dope slap. Come on, cut it out. Learn to follow God's word. In our pain, we depend upon God's love. We, we follow through. Here's the third thing I've learned. I've learned that I need other people. 1 Corinthians 11 says, Remember that in God's plan, men and women need each other. Now, before you say, oh, does that have to do with marriage? No, I, I think it's, it's way beyond that. Uh, I'll tell you that men in this congregation, men in general, I think you need godly women in your life. You need godly women because they've got a totally different perspective on some things than you do. I know that to be true. I got one. I got mine. There, there's a few other ones that are scattered around. You know, godly women who have a different perspective on life. And women, don't think I'm letting you off the hook. You need godly men in your life, too. Godly men who also give you a perspective. You know, I know that they say, you know, what, what is it, uh, Women are from Venus and men are wrong. Or what's the name of that book? <laughs> men are from Venus. And, you know, oh, the women are from Venus and men are from Mars. Whatever. We're, we're different. That's just the way God wired us up. And so we need godly counterparts to balance us out. When we do, we, we, just get, we just get a bigger picture of who God is. You know, every time I sit down with somebody, I, I, I hope I can say this. You know, Jason, Jason and I eat lunch pretty regularly. We, we love burgers over at Double E's. But, you know, we sit there, we talk about once a week, and guess what? You know, we, we swap a lot of different ideas. We're not solving the problems of the world. We're not straightening Susie out at all, you know. Uh, we're, just, we're just having, we're having fun. But in the process, guess what? We get a little different perspective. You know, maybe you never stop and thought about this. I don't want to embarrass you, but you get a little different view of what God's like and how God works and stuff like that. Every time I sit down and talk to Ted, I just get a little bit different perspective. John and I, we have coffee you know, we sit down, we solve most of the world's problems. You know, but you get a little bit different perspective when you talk to people. Gene, I've sat and talked with you. We just, when it's all said and done, we may not talk about anything great and important, but it's just, we just get a little bit different view. I can tell you, I can take a Bible passage and sit down. Nancy will raise something that comes out of a women's Bible study. You get to talk about it. And you get a little bit different perspective. I can do the same thing with little Clamber Atner up here. You know, we sit down, you talk to people, you need different people to give you a broader perspective of what God is really like. Now here's a third thing I think that God wants us to learn. I think he wants us to learn how to share how God can bring good out of bad. One of God's great promises in the Bible is Romans 8.28. We know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God. Now, I want you to note in that passage... It does not say we know that everything will work out the way we want it to. It does not promise that life will be a bed of roses for you. That verse says we know. 
What does that mean? We know. We're not guessing. We're not hoping. We're not wishing. What do we know? It says we know God causes. That means your life's not an accident. There's no random choice. There's no such thing as good luck or bad luck. God has a plan. God has a purpose even before you were born. Now, I think about that, the myriad of little babies that are scattered around the church today. I mean, we've had a ton of them born in about the last month. And some of them are big enough, it almost adds up to a ton. Uh, but these are, these are a lot of babies. Guess what? You know, moms and dads, you with your little babies and grandchildren, God had a grand plan and a grand design before those babies were ever brought into this world. That's what we know. We know for certain that God is the grand designer because he causes all things. Now, if you look at that passage, what does it mean by all things? Well, I'm going to be real theological here. All means, are you ready for this? All. That's what it means. God says, I can fit it all in my plan. Now, if you stop there, God causes all things. You could say, well, God's a pretty mean God. He's the author of evil, but he's not. It says, we know that God causes all things, what? To work together for good. Now, I hope you notice in that passage, it does not say that all things are good, but it says that all things together are good. Let me give you a great example. Anybody here like a German chocolate cake besides me? Okay. Or you like any cake at all? This is how it works. I don't naturally eat a handful of Crisco shortening. That's pretty gross. I don't eat that and swallow a big glob of Crisco. I rarely, in fact never, have swallowed a couple of raw eggs. I don't care what, if Rocky did it and won a championship, I'm not swallowing rock, raw eggs. I have yet to take a big swig of vanilla out of the pantry. I really would not appreciate having a big spoonful of salt, and to be honest, I wouldn't even want to have to down a whole cup of sugar. That would be nasty. But I'll tell you what, if you take that Crisco and you take the eggs and you take some flour and you take some vanilla and you put the sugar in there and the salt in there and whatever, uh, some of you, you won't even wait for the cake. You'll be begging for the batter. I mean, how many of you like chocolate chip cookie dough? Uh-huh. I mean, some of you would put your tongue in the mixer while your mom was still doing it. You know, together... I mean, separately, all of that stuff is pretty bitter. But put it all together, it tastes better. Now, there are things in your life that were just flat out bitter. They left a bad taste in your mouth. But God says, I'm bigger than the bad. I can turn bitter into batter. Now, does God have any track record for doing that? Okay, how about this one? How about the crucifixion? Let's think about the crucifixion just for a moment. Was that a bad deal? I mean, the death of his own son, that was pretty bad. They tortured Jesus, they spit on Jesus, they beat Jesus, they crucified Jesus, they, they, they threw him away like a, like, a, like a shameless criminal. Now, did God bring any good out of that? Well, just the salvation of the world. That was a pretty big deal. God specializes in bringing good things out of bad stuff. But I also want to add something here, friends. This promise is not for everybody. It says, what? We know that God causes everything to work together for good for those who love God. 
This only works for people who come and say, God, I love you. Take the broken pieces of my life and put them back together again. Let me give you a great example uh, from the Bible here, putting pieces back together. Anybody ever read the genealogies of Jesus in Matthew or Luke? You ever anybody reading the genealogies of the Bible? Oh, man, you know, this father, this guy's father was this guy's father, and this guy's father was this, you know, so-and-so begat, so... You, know, you want to go sleep at night, read a genealogy. But there's one thing that is really, really interesting about Jesus' genealogy. In Jewish culture, genealogical lines are traced through the Father. And women are never, ever mentioned. That's just the way it was back then. But four women are mentioned in the genealogy of Jesus. And guess what? Every last one of those four women had an extremely painful story to tell. The women were Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, and Bathsheba. I don't have time to tell you the whole stories, but Tamar was seduced by her father-in-law, for heaven's sake. She had two different husbands, and they were both jerks. That's a spiritual word, by the way. They were, I should put it in more biblical, total jerks. The, the story of Tamar is X-rated. It is, it is downright explicit. Rahab, who was she? She was a prostitute, for heaven's sakes. But she helped the guys get into Jericho. She did the right thing. Ruth was a Moabite woman, illegally married to a Jewish man. I mean, her marriage was not recognized by Jewish law. You don't marry outside your species. You don't marry outside your race. Bathsheba had an affair with King David, and King David had her husband murdered to get away with it. Those aren't exactly stellar stories. And yet God chose each of those four women to be mothers in the line of the deliverer of the entire world. God wove their mistakes and their disappointments and their hurts and their sins into his plan and into the life of his son Jesus. Now, I know, friends, that there are people in this world who have intended to hurt you in every which way possible. I know that to be true because there are just bad people in this world. They will do it to you physically, emotionally, sexually. They will do it to you spiritually. They, they're out to get you. They mean it for bad, but God can use it for good. It's the grace of God that gets your attention in pain. It's the grace of God that helps you learn things in pain. It's God's grace that turns bad things into good things. Here's the last thing God wants you to know. He wants you to share with others how Jesus gives you hope. Friends, every person you see this coming week, I don't care whether you're going back to school, I don't care whether you're going back into the factory, back out to the farm, but I can guarantee you that every last person you see this week has a hidden hurt of one kind or another. And because each of those people has a hidden hurt somewhere, they need a massive dose of hope. And what I've learned in my life is that when you share hope with somebody, you have a willing audience because a lot of people feel hopeless. Now, as a pastor, I've talked to a lot of people like this. And what I've learned is I'm not always the best person to share that hope with them. Well, I can do it in general. But what I've learned is that the hope that best helps other people 
is the hope from somebody who can say, been there, done that, and here's what's going to happen. Here's what you're going to end up like. Here's how you're going to change. Here's how God can bring good out of that situation. Those of you that have battled cancer, who better to talk to somebody battling cancer? Those of you that have been through a divorce, who better to talk to somebody who's going through that? Those of you that have, have, have had to deal with a, a child that's kind of gone off the tracks, who better to talk to than somebody who's been there done that? That's all I'm saying. See, that's how God wants to use us. God wants us to be a hope dispenser. Now, he doesn't want us to be a drug pusher. We just need to be a hope pusher. Uh, we need to be a hope promoter wherever we go. I love 1 Peter 3.15. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope you have. Are you exhibiting hope wherever you go? You know, but somebody actually say, man, you seem like you got it pretty much together. What's the deal? Aha, there's your place to share. And you know, the greatest thing is you don't need to know a single Bible passage to do that. You don't need a seminary education to share the hope you have in Jesus with another person. All you need to do is tell your story. God just wants to be a witness to unbelievers in your life. He just wants you to say, look, pain got my attention. Let me tell you what I learned. I learned that God is all I need. I learned that God is going to hang in there with me no matter what. You don't really need to say much more than that. See, that's what God commands. Just tell your story of how you had hope in a hopeless situation. In whatever language you speak, pass it on. Well, we're at the end of this series. What have you learned? Well, if you haven't put it into practice, not much. But in closing, I just want to share with you what we've talked about these last eight weeks. We started with the reality choice. I'm powerless to control my tendency to do the wrong thing, and my life is unmanageable. The hope choice. I earnestly believe that God exists, that I matter to him, and that he has the power to help me change. The commitment or teachability choice. To con I choose to consciously commit all of my life and will to Christ's care and control. The house cleaning choice. I openly examine and confess my faults to myself and to God and to someone I trust. The transformation choice. I voluntarily submit to every change God wants to make in my life and humbly ask him to remove my character defects. The relationship choice. I evaluate all my relationships, offer forgiveness to those who have hurt me, and make amends for harm that I have done to others, except when to do so would harm them or others. The growth choice. I reserve a daily time with God for Bible reading, self-examination and prayer in order to know God and his will for my life and to gain the power to follow his will. And when you got all those down, it leads to the sharing choice. I choose to yield myself to God to be used to bring the good news to others, both by my example and by my word. May God bless you in that pursuit. Amen.